Alrighty, let's open up God's Word. And uh, it is 1643. So if we go to 25 past and then probably have a little leg stretch, you're not allowed to go beyond in front of this line, are you? Can you? A little bit closer. So this is not a topic that uh, I would normally, hey, let me talk to you about church growth. It sounds so presumptuous. Now I've got the Chad who's with us here, and, and I'm not an expert, and he can say amen to that, because it's not like our church is in revival um, yet. I was actually asked to prepare this. When, when we went up to Zimbabwe, it was for that time with the national elders that uh, that Mlin Mube, who leads the team there, he said, Brent, will you share some things? I thought, like, what can I share? But then as I began to study the scriptures, I believe God began to reveal some things. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. But first, let me talk about the big why. People are often consumed with this idea of church growth, numbers, numbers, numbers. Why is it important? Now, our context is very different. I come from Richard's by. And uh, it's very different to a Joburg context. But here's what burns inside of me. We're a suburbs church. And in the suburbs of Richards Bay, there are about 70,000 people who live in the suburbs. We've got lots of township, high-density areas around. But actually, in the suburbs, there's about 70,000 people. Some clever people realized that if you're going to influence a culture, or if you're going to influence a society... A tipping point will happen at about 10%. So in other words, you can think like, yay, as a church, we're making a difference. But for us, Outlook Church, God's positioned us in Richards Bay to bring in the kingdom and to impact the community, to trust God for revival, to see His kingdom advance. If we're serious about that, then in my engineering mathematical brain, that would mean we need to impact at least 7,000, that's 10%, at least 7,000 people in Richards Bay to begin to legitimately say, we're changing the culture of this place. At the moment, all the churches combined in Richards Bay, we probably sit at about 2,000 people going to church on a Sunday. I mean, I come from a traditional religious place, so membership roles might be this big, People actually serving Jesus passionately would be this big. So I'm guesstimating there's about 2,000. That means we're at least 5,000 people short of hitting a tipping point to begin feeling like we're actually changing society for Jesus. So that means I've got great friends who lead other churches, but I can't put this responsibility on them. We've got to own it. That means I'm saying, Lord, okay, we've got to feed an extra 5,000. Well, it's in the Bible, so we, I can trust God for that. But us, Outlook Church, Lord, I want to trust you. Can I trust you? Because here's the problem. We're never going to operate at a greater level than our ability to think and trust and believe. <clears throat> Does that make sense? So, so in my mind, I'm saying, okay, Lord, <clears throat> we need to trust you for at least another 5,000 people in the life of Outlook Church. And you know what that makes me feel? We're a cook. Because the problem is, if God answered that prayer now, Lord, I mean, we're praying for our city. Lord, bring revival. Lord, help us to change our city. If God said, hey, Brent, why not? That's a great idea. And this coming Sunday, he sent an extra 5,000 people. It would be like winning the lotto. 
Yo, this is amazing. Yay. And most people who win the lotto a year later are bankrupt. They do not have the capacity to handle 10 million rand or whatever they win in the lotto. So if God answered our prayer, gave us 5,000 extra people on Sunday, chances are we would blow it. I don't think we have the capacity to be able to think, trust, plan, facilitate, and disciple <clears throat> that many people yet. But by thinking about it, it's challenged me and the leaders to begin to, well, what should we do? You know, it's, <clears throat> if we're praying for it, let's plan for it <clears throat> and trust God for it. So I'm, I'm saying that as, a, as an introduction because one of my observations <clears throat> visiting churches right around the world in different places is most times our vision is just way too small. Now, I'm going to take you in this first little session, and then we're going to have a five-minute leg stretch, and then the second. This first one is just some introductory comments, and introductory comment number one is simply this. Matthew 9, verse 29. Then Jesus touched their eyes, and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. <clears throat> we're talking today about supernatural church growth. Supernatural means, well, it's not natural. It means you can't put a formula to it and say, if I do this plus this, then this is going to happen. Supernatural means somehow we did this, but God did something amazing, and then this happened. And Jesus is very clear, this is how it's going to work in the kingdom. According to your faith, it will be done. I'll tell you a little story. I remember when uh, <clears throat> we were planting Outlook Church 22 years ago or something, and, and, and we, we left Joburg because we were in Midrand, we went down, we got the school hall, it was great, but... But boy, a 200-seater school hall feels really big when there's three of you. It was my wife, it was myself, and there was this one other girl. Someone gave us a number, and we twisted her arm and made her come to church so that the very first Sunday, we were three. I mean, it was amazing. It was a, the service went incredibly well. Everything ran very smoothly. I mean, I did half the ministry. My wife did the other half. She was the worship team. I was the preacher. I took up the offering. She made the tea. It was just like everything worked really, really well. <clears throat> For three of us, yes. And then, I mean, we hit revival, our biggest growth ever, because the next week we were seven. It was just like revival everywhere. But then we, we had our official launch. That was like our practice runs. And then we had the official launch. But my prayer had been simply this, Lord, we really need like 20 people. You know, if there were like at least 20 people, it would kind of feel like churchy. I mean, otherwise it's like a home group, and then one family doesn't come, and then half the church is not there, and it's, uh, we, we need... And I remember our Lord praying, please, Lord, send us 20. Send us 20, Lord. So we did a little prayer blast, a kind of outreach type of this. We had our launch, and it was a rented crowd. We had friends, family. Everyone came. There's probably like 60 people or something because it's all like all your friends and everything. But of that, guess how many people connected into the church? 20 people. And I remember, I mean, and many of them are still in the church to this day. It was incredible. It was just God gave us exactly what we asked for. So remember Mark Bailey, you know Mark Bailey, son of this house. So now, he's going off to Gladsdorp to go and plant a church, and he comes down to visit us, and he says, hey, Brent, you plant a church, what did you learn? I said, what I learned is, flip, why did I only ask God for 20? <laughs> because the Bible says, let it be done to you according to your faith. Mark's like full of faith. He's like, I'm going to ask for 60. Goes off to Clarksdorp, and they do their launch. They do their kind of da 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 <clears throat> song and a dance launch. And they guess how many people God added. Guess what He said to me? Don, why did I only ask for sixty? 
point is this. point is this. Let, let it be done to you according to your faith. God wants to add to this amazing community, not because it's all about numbers, because it's about his kingdom wants to come. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. There are people in this city, in this region. This is the lighthouse to the nations, but it's not going to go beyond what you've got faith for. We've got to have faith for it. Does that make sense? Lord, let it be done. And supernaturally. I, I remember when we did, I made a big mistake once. We, we were doing building project. And we had just launched our first building project. It was going to be about like 4 million or something like that. And, and, and my engineering brain once again got involved. And I suddenly thought to myself, okay, 4 million. And we, we, we're 112 people in the church. 4 million divided by 112 equals 72,000. No. And I was suddenly thinking about faces in the church. Every person had to bring 70,000. Like, not, not, I can't remember what the number was, but it was something like that. And suddenly I realized, I know the people in our church. Most of them are broke. And suddenly my faith took a pl plummet because I'm going straight away pragmatic. No, no. I mean, God doesn't work like that. He supernaturally provided. But the problem is our brain wants to engage. I, I want to challenge us up front this is called supernatural because God can do things beyond what we can naturally, can naturally do. Acts 2, 40, uh, Acts 2 verse 47, it said, the Lord added. Remember what we talk, I'm, I'm trying to drive home the supernatural component. The Lord added. Yes, I'm going to look at, we've got a part to play. But the Lord added, have a look at Acts eleven twenty one. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is all about, we have to trust the Lord that he wants to bring life and growth. The supernatural grace of God flows through faith. There must be faith for grace to flow. That, that principle is so obvious in scripture, but I only learned it a few years ago from old Stan Phipps from Durban. Remember this. Grace always flows through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. In other words, if you haven't got faith for something, there won't be grace for it. But if you've got for something, grace will flow. So for example, if you're stuck in a dead marriage and you've got no faith for it to get better, guess what? Not going to get better. And there'll be no grace for it. But when you've got faith, God, you are going to do something grace flows through it. So I'm trying to say, I'm trying to stir this because actually, Lord, the, the, I believe when you look at your history and God, how God has been leading you, this is a critical moment. This is a, this is a launch pad moment. I spend time with the staff and God's been reshaping the staff team. We're reshaping the elders team, reshaping the building. This is the launching pad for something new that God's going to take you to. Lord, we're trusting you and faith. You want to add, you want to multiply, and you want to take this church to the next level. So, let me put one caution at the bottom there. Wherever there's something genuine in the world, there's something counterfeit as well from the enemy. And I'm just throwing this in as a quick disclaimer. If numbers and growth become the this is what everything is all about, it becomes an idol in itself. And when you're pursuing idols, you tend to look for them in all the wrong places. And many churches get off track because instead of pursuing Jesus for the glory of the king and the kingdom, now we're pursuing numbers for identity, for power, for finance, for whatever it is, and that always leads down the wrong path. 
We live in a nation and surrounded by nations with churches that have strayed from God's word in search of power because power means more people, more people means more money, and that always ends in disaster. So I'm saying that to realize there is, if there's supernatural church growth from God, there can also be supernatural church from the enemy. And we see it sadly in many churches in our nation. That's why it's not the goal. The goal is the king and the kingdom and the glory for Jesus. But we're trusting him to be able to supernaturally bring growth. Does that make sense? Let me get to introduction thought number two. To understand what makes a church grow, we need to understand the partnership dynamic between God and his instruments on earth. So, isn't it incredible that our God, who is omnipotent, that means he's all-powerful, has chosen to limit himself. If I was God, and you can say thank you God that he's not God, if I was God, I would rather do stuff myself if I was God. I mean, I would use lightning bolts if someone steps. Who needs church discipline if we can just send lightning bolts? You, loud again, bam, once warning, twice lightning bolt, sorted. I mean, you could use donkeys to preach because then, I mean, they, but God has chosen to work through us. It's an amazing thing. And, and God's three primary channels through which he's going to work Oh, number one, he's going to use his word. He's not going to stray from his word. God works through his word. That's the power of God's word, the foolishness of what was preached. God uses his word to create, to convict, to challenge, to God's word. Number two, he uses his spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. And number three, God uses his man or his woman, Amen. which is always the weak link. But God, glorify me so that I can glorify you. That's what Jesus prayed. Lord, glorify this church so that they can glorify you. It's a beautiful and amazing thing. Listen to the scripture. Whenever I read it, it saddens me. In Ezekiel 22 verse 30, I looked, this is God speaking, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. I mean, God can build a wall. But he's chosen to limit himself through working through men and women. And I looked. I just need someone to put up their hand and say, here am I. Use me. And I found none. Supernatural church growth is going to come from a people, men and women. It's like, Lord, I feel absolutely inadequate, unqualified, non-confident, if that's a word. But here am I. And God says, that's all I need. All I need is a vessel. I don't need your ability. God's got all the ability. He can put his spirit inside of you and remind you of his word. He can do it, but he's going to do it through you and I. It's amazing how God has chosen to, to show his glory through broken vessels like you and I. All three are critically important. We cannot make the church grow, but God has chosen to involve us in the process. We get to mess up or speed up the process. Sure. Introductory thought number three, church growth can be supernatural, but it still requires good leadership. Okay, so, so God could do it all, and it's going to be, but, but he is going to look for leaders. It's amazing how God looks for leaders. Now, I said it last night, I'm going to say it again today. God has spoken prophetically over this church. This church has a strong leadership, something inside of it. Let me give you a quick aside. I'm all in favor of unbalanced churches because I think it's biblical. Let me tell you what I'm saying. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, it says, In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. 
Like, no pastors? No evangelists? No apostles? Well, there must have been, but that church was known for prophets and teachers. And I love that because it's in line with the way God works. God doesn't give everyone my whole package. He makes you the hand and you the foot and you the eye and you the head so that together we can be stronger. And I think in the way churches work together as well, a Hillsong type church known for the incredible music, Bethel known for this incredible prophetic ministry. I don't think, certainly not in the, maybe once a church is a hundred years old or something, but certainly for where our church is on our Lord, what is it specifically that you want to put into the loft of Lighthouse to the nations? That makes it different from all the other churches down the road. Bless them. God wants to put unique stuff inside of the churches. And for me, I love looking at the name of a church because I think names are way more prophetic than we realize. Lighthouse to the nations is going to tell you the kind of emphasis that this church has. This ch- lighthouses stand tall. Lighthouses are leadership roles. When you build a lighthouse, I come from a town where there is a lighthouse, and the lighthouse doesn't move. It stands there and it warns. This is land. If you're a ship coming here, and just know I'm not moving. This is the way. And this is a lighthouse to the nations. That means it's leadership with nations in mind to stand strong, stand on the rock, and bring light to the nations. If you want, if I say this wrong, you can correct me. If you're looking for a cozy, comfy, fellowship community church, I'm sure you know other churches that would probably better suit your needs. If you're looking for a church that's going to challenge you in leadership with an apostolic mandate, then I believe this is the church for you. And and I would encourage you to take hold of the prophetic destiny of this church because God is wanting to send more and more people with that in their heart. And we've seen it over the 22 years. Our our church is called Outlook. And one of our values is we outlookers, not inlookers. So if you want an inlooking, cozy fellowship, our mates with the community church and the other church, and they're amazing, go there. But if you come here, don't expect to be inlooking because we're outlooking. We outlookers, not onlookers. Onlookers are spectators. So so if you want to be an onlooker, a spectator, I don't recommend the church for you because God's called us to be outlookers, not on. Does that make sense? Now, in the same way, this is called lighthouse to the nations. If you're part of this church, God's going to build you on the rock to stand strong into the nations with a strong apostolic voice. And boy, do we need churches like that. Amen? Don't know how I got onto that, but I did. So now, let's get into uh, ah, good leadership point. Introductory thought number three. Acts 11, verses 22 to 24. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He, this is Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Beautiful. Into this context, God was doing something, great leadership stepped in. Now, that's what's going to happen. God does things, but we as leaders then need to facilitate work with the Holy Spirit to continue what God wants to do. Leaders can either open doors for more or mess it up and close what God is doing. And that's why supernatural church growth is going to be not doing everything, but Lord, how do we facilitate and make room for what you are doing and want to do amongst the community? If we want to see the life of God flowing through the church, then it needs to be flowing through the leaders. 
Leaders, go first. Leaders, take responsibility. We're trusting the Lord. Good biblical leadership releases the life of God that brings growth spiritually and numerically. Introduction thought number four. God can use any type of spiritual gift to bring church growth. I'll explain a little bit more later on. But 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7, it says, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Isn't it amazing? We've just said good leaders are required, but actually now we're saying God can use any type of leaders. So we need leadership, but it's for me incredibly, incredibly liberating to know that God can use any gift. He uses the diversity of people. He's looking for hearts that are available and willing rather than specific gifts. Big idea one there, what's not important is who does the planting. So we can relax because God can use anyone with any gift. And, I mean, that's why I've loved traveling with Bruce all these years. It's been such an amazing honor and a privilege for me because our giftings are so different. And, and, and I've gone through, and I'll tell you some of my stories later about my insecurities, but now delighting more and more. Lord, we're completely different, but you can do through different, whether God can use an evangelist to grow a church, he can use a prophet to grow a church, he can use a teacher to grow a church. Evangelist church might grow quickly, but often they empty quickly as well. Teacher's church might grow slower, but normally they're quite steady. God uses different gifts, but he can facilitate, I mean, he can use any gift that's willing to yield to him. Big idea number two, what is super important is that God makes things grow. So don't worry so much about models and methods, focus on Jesus. <clears throat> the work of the leader is important, but our faith must be that God can use any type of leader or gift and make the church grow. This next passage is a <clears throat> remarkable passage, but it's quite encouraging for me. Exodus 1 verses 11 to 13, while the Israelites were still in slavery in Egypt, it says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. We've just said leadership is important, and it is. Now here, under shocking, oppressive leadership, supernatural growth. Amazing, isn't it? So, so yes, it's, it's all of these crazy balances. Lord, you want to use Barnabas type encouraging leaders to, to facilitate growth. But actually, Lord, it's not all about us. So yes, we've got this responsibility, but we don't have the pressure of performance. Isn't that amazing? And, and that's the incredible. Sons of God, we own the responsibility, but not the pressure. Because Lord, you can and will do it despite us, not because of us. Isn't it amazing that even under terrible leadership, the people of God continue to grow? How much more can they grow under good leadership? Introductory thought number five, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. Being full of the spirit will always be the root of supernatural church growth. And we are as full of the spirit as we want to be, which, as we want to hear. Now that's, that's an interesting word, but it's there. Now, the point is this. I've read, and many people have read, books about church growth. And, and there's models and all sorts of things. And, and 
I'm not against reading of books, but the problem is people who write books about models don't realize the gifting that they have. Let me take an example. One of the most amazing books, and it's an incredible book. Take Purpose Driven Church. I mean, that did the rounds years ago, and it was an incredible book about church model, lots of groups, and all of these things, and it was brilliant. What was more brilliant is the person who wrote it is an incredible evangelist. I, I, I think they could have written about any model, and if they did it, it would have worked, because the evangelistic anointing on their heart, just people got saved. And, and what we saw is people right around the world implementing model, 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 wait for the growth to happen, and nothing. Because models don't carry life. The life is in the Spirit of God. We need a wineskin to facilitate it, but actually that's not going to produce the life. The life comes from the Spirit of God inside of us. So that first principle, what was the source of growth of Jesus' ministry. Let's go all the way back to Jesus. Luke 4, verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Oh, Lord. That's what it's going to come down to every single time. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the life of God. Full of the Holy Spirit's power is always at the root of true growth and effectiveness. The best advertising of his ministry was always people's testimonies of what God has done. He, his works seem to gather people and his words won them over. <clears throat> Dudley Daniel once said this, So, when God's life is in a church, it is going to grow even if it only grows by two or three people a year. When God's life is in it, though, it will generally grow a lot quicker than that. So, introductory thought number six. Spiritful leaders don't focus on church growth, but on the life of the Spirit, and growth happens. When the focus is on the life of the Spirit and not on church growth, then a church culture similar to what they experienced in the early church can develop. Let me explain it. Acts 4 verse 20. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. In this age of uh, social media, advertising, branding, all of those things, that, that statistic I wrote down there, 80% of people who get saved and stay saved. You know what that means? I'm not talking theology now. You, you can go to a mass crusade and there were 250,000 people who put up their hand and, gave, and that's great, but how many of them actually went on to maturity in God. We're talking 80% of people who, they give their life to Jesus, and you come back a year, two years, five, ten years later, they're still passionately serving Jesus. They got saved and got rooted because they got discipled. 80% of people who get saved and stay saved are brought to the Lord by a friend or family member. We're talking supernatural church growth, but guess where most of the people are going to come from that's going to bring the growth? People you already know. They're going to people that in some way you have contact with them. They're not going to just fall from heaven. They're going to be somehow part of your circles. And what's going to happen is when the life of God, someone once said this, a friend of mine once said, people cannot help but talk about what they're passionate about. And so when you're around a bride, you'll soon know. That all, these guys, all they talk about is rugby. All they talk about is their bicycling. All they talk about, you, you naturally talk about what you're passionate about. 
When you become really passionate about what Jesus is doing, authentic life transformed by the Holy Spirit, it starts coming out more and more. The dream would be a people. Look what the scripture said. Acts 4 verse 20. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Seen and heard. And when we get to that place, Lord, we're trusting you. When the church gathers on Sunday, we want to see the life of God. Tomorrow, tomorrow, trusting for the life of God. We had a, this last Sunday, in 22 years of leading the church, we had our first ever public bonfire. It was great. I had a young guy come to me in the morning and he said, we, we're doing this series about going deeper. And he says, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I can't concentrate. I want to hear you preach, but I'm just distracted. I'm just frustrated. I'm just... And then he said, and, and maybe it's because I've still got all my occultic books and paraphernalia and stuff from before I got saved. So I said, maybe. <laughs> and he said, I'm, and I'm having nightmares. And I said, well, this could be linked. <laughs> and so I said, so he said, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, have you repented? He said, yes. Why have you still got the stuff? Because, well, it's valuable. <laughs> so I said, well, look what the Bible says. In, in, in Ephesus, as, as there was revival happening, it said they, they brought their scrolls, their cultic scrolls and things like that, and they burnt them publicly, and the value of the scrolls was like 20,000 drachmas or whatever it was, which equates to about 10 million rand. So imagine a bonfire 10 million rands worth of bonfire. So I said, well, let's do that. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so that evening, Chad here, is a, it was great because we, we had a baptism first at night, freezing cold water, but not as cold as Joburg. It's fun. And then from the swimming pool, we went to the bonfire, which was raging by then. And, and here was a guy, just young guy, like, and I need to repent, and I want you all to like witness my repentance. And he threw his, his folders and his little magic boxes and all this kind of stuff. And I messaged him, and it's like, I haven't had a nightmare since. My, 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 the point, the point, I mean, that's one little example. But, Lord, we, we want you not just here. We want to see you doing stuff in people's lives. And we've got to trust God. Where your life is, we want stuff to happen. I'm loving... Tyrant challenged us at the National Elders that there's no baptism classes in Scripture. People got saved and got baptized. And since then, we're like, okay, no more sinners pray, everybody. If you're ready to radically repent, the Bible says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, if you're ready to radically repent... I don't want to be mastered. I don't want to be ruled by sin. I want to come under the lordship of Jesus. Then your new Lord, the first thing he says is get baptized. So if you're here today, you've never been baptized and you've repented, even though you haven't got a costume, you're in your church, rock and frock and all this kind of thing. But if the spirit of God is convicting you, we'll baptize you right now. And, and every Sunday we've had people like, but, but what's nice is, is people then start talking about it. And they talk about it because, hey, there's something raw, authentic. God must have done it. My, my point is this. We're going to trust the Lord. Lord, we want to see the life of the Spirit of God operating because that's what people, they, they could not stop talking about everything we have seen and heard. That's the goal. Supernatural church growth is going to follow this. We cannot stop talking about everything we have seen and heard. Amen. Amen. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. So remember, the big idea, the life of the Spirit leads...
to the growth of the church. Let me dive in. We've got some time. We're going to keep going for a while. So what I, what I want to do, that was the introduction. Now, purpose of the introduction was to lay the platform for this. If we read the book of Acts now through the lenses of how did growth happen in the early church? Because interestingly enough, there's quite a few references in the book of Acts where it actually even gives numbers. It speaks about the church grew, growth happened, people were added. And so all I've done is pulled out, I think there's six examples here, of what initiated Holy Spirit growth. Now we can't copy it, but we can learn. Remember first principles, Holy Spirit, what were you doing? And how can we learn from that? So that's where we're going to be going. And here's the first one. Number one, and all of these, I think in your notes, are point number one. It's for a reason. Because all of them are the most important point. So it's not a one, two, three list. This is a one, 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 and one list. Number one, for the first time, spirit-filled message and messenger. So let me read Acts chapter 2, 36 to 41. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Like, isn't that a bit harsh? I mean, where's the feel-good factor there? Where's the help me live my best life, Jesus, there? Where's the, I'm supposed to be leaving this place feeling comforted and exhorted and encouraged, and here's the preacher, it was you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Don't you love the feeling of having your heart pierced by Jesus? Think about it for a moment. Have you ever thought about it before? I love that feeling. That, yikes, that hurt, but Lord, that is so true. There's something, there's a difference. I mean, two people can come at you with a knife and your response would be completely different. If he was a mugger, you'd like, yo, no way. If he was a surgeon, you'd say, okay, put me to sleep, do it. Because one is coming with a knife to surgery to make you better. One is trying to hurt you. Now, this is what the word of God is designed. I'm not going to get technical now because medical terms and me don't work. But in the Old Testament, you got circumcised. Ouch. In the New Testament, and and fortunately it was only the men who got circumcised. Ladies, you can relax, but you can't relax for long because in the New Testament, everyone gets circumcised. But in the New Testament, the circumcision is of the heart by the Holy Spirit. You were not part of God's people if you were not circumcised. You are not part of God's people in the New Testament if your heart hasn't been circumcised. In other words, salvation follows the piercing of our hearts, the convicting work of the Spirit. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Dear God, I have sinned. So, so that's why the pure comforting message, God loves you, you don't have to change a bit, just keep coming, give your tithes, offerings, God loves you. Actually, that's a false gospel because there has to be, there was a piercing of the heart by the Spirit, a cutting away of the flesh. That's what repentance means. Repentance is not, oh, sorry, God, you, you know, I'm just human. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is no way. I'm cut to the heart. I want to leave that life and I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender everything to him. And I love this. The incredible thing about preaching that pierces hearts is it brings life and growth. And it's, it's, it's like an oxymoron. You'd think when a preacher gets up and says it was you who crucified Jesus, you'd think like they're never coming to church again. Church grows. 
getting up and preaching about sexual immorality, it's still not okay. God's not old-fashioned. God's word hasn't changed. It's still called a sin. Now, the world says it's fine, it's acceptable, because I love them, surely it's right. No, it's not right. God hasn't changed his mind. Sin is poison, and poison is poison. You can take poison, and you can add like pink coloring, and you can put an umbrella and a slice of pineapple, but it's still poison. And as much as we can make sin sound attractive, and I love the way the world always changes language. For example, nowadays people suffer from a disease called alcoholism. In the Bible, they suffered from being a drunkard. <laughs> Nowadays, people can have an affair. In, in the Bible, they had committed adultery. You know what I'm saying? The world always wants to soften things, but the Bible doesn't. And here's the reality. Here's why. Because only when our hearts are cut, does the life of God come out. Remember when, when Moses, he first struck the rock and then the water flowed. And in some ways, our hearts need to be pierced. For us to come to repentance and see the life of God. So, uh, verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children and to those far away, all those who've been called by the Lord our God, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. There we go, it's in the Bible. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Isn't that amazing? The power of preaching actually brings growth. Now, a whole bunch of you here are called to preach. Some of you haven't realized it yet. Some of you have responded. But let me take a moment and speak to the preachers amongst us. God still uses the foolishness of preaching to minister his word into hearts. And it's an incredible thing. We would think our natural inclination would be that faith comes by seeing. I'll believe it if I see it. And the world operates on the principle of seeing is believing. The kingdom of God is not. Faith comes by hearing. It's the hearing of God's word that sparks faith inside of us. The first growth trigger follows straight after the filling of the Holy Spirit. The messenger Peter was full of the Holy Spirit and so preached with a level of power and propheticness that was supernatural. The message was prophetic, relevant, piercing, and practical. Preaching God's word is a supernatural task which requires the Holy Spirit. The problem is, I've been preaching for 25 or 6 years or so. And over time, your gifting, can you, you can begin to rest on your gifting more than your anointing. If you gave me a topic, now please hear my heart, not trying to boast, but I've been doing it for 26 years. So if you gave me a topic, probably within about 10 minutes, I could throw some scriptures together, I'd probably even come up with an illustration, and I could get up and I could like, hey, that's not a bad sermon. But you know, because my flesh can do it now. I mean, I've got this gifting. But it's not gifting that's going to transform hearts. Gifting is God-given, but it's not enough. We need the supernatural power of God. I'm a, I'm a, this is one of my, my wrestles 
watching Bruce all these years, I got really frustrated because, because he's like confident, extroverted, and just, I mean, if, have you ever stood on this pulpit or do you only stand on other people's pulpits? I'm just saying, I mean, it looks kind of flimsy in terms of would it carry your weight, but I mean, I've seen you stand on a whole lot of other people's pulpits. So anyway, my, my, and, and I, I would like, Lord, this is not fair because when, when you're having a nice worship session, thanks, Kim, for leading us in worship, and everyone gets to enjoy God's presence, I'm like, oh, dear God, because I get nervous and, and I stress before I preach every single time. I'm always like, dear God, and, and I fight that thing. And, and, and I, for years I was praying, Lord, this is not fair. Why don't you make me like super confident? Then I could just, hey, relax, and then I can, instead, I'm stressing on the front row while everyone else is just worshiping. And then I felt one day God say to me, I'll take away your nervousness. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. But you know when sometimes God says something, but you think like, hmm. But what's the catch, Lord? And, and I just felt God drop in my heart. Just remember, if I take it away, you're not going to be on the front row saying, dear God, I need you. Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Please, Lord. And I suddenly realized, actually, I want that more. And, and, and so now I still squirm on the front row like nervous, worried, anxious, anxiety. But Lord, it's, I'd rather have that and be praying than be confident and not. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is... So let me get super practical. Preachers, here it is. Practical, pre preaching, prophetic, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Word-based, connected to the Word, connecting the Word to real life. Piercing, passionate, helpful. All of these things that we see from Peter's life. What stops each of these points? I've tried to put a what could stop the church from growing. Number one, when preaching is man-centered and not God-centered. And sadly, that's the case in so many churches nowadays. Number two, when it's all about the preacher. Number three, where it's all harp and no power. I shared last night, I think it was last night, when, when I shared about how priests in the Old Testament are not allowed to perspire. I mean, I was convinced because I live in Richard's Bay and it gets really hot. But actually, harp is when you're using your communication skills to try and use emotion to try and get people revved up. That's not anointing. Yeah. That's, not what, that's what gets people going, yeah, amen, but, but that's not going to change hearts. It's too shallow. Shallow preaching happens when you're preaching from your head and not from your heart. It, it shallow is not meaning you've got to, I mean, deep preaching doesn't mean you've got three Greek words and you've linked them to concordia, I mean, commentaries. No, no. Deep is depth of heart, not depth of theological stuff. You can preach a s intellectualism. You can preach a simple message with great depth when it's preached from the depth of heart and not just across the top. Does that make sense? That's why as preachers, if, if we want to pierce hearts, piercing hearts comes from pierced hearts. Yeah, that's right. And that's a huge thing, preachers. That's why time on our knees, getting it right in our hearts is even more important than just more concordances and more commentaries. Number five is not the true gospel. There's gospels, prosperity gospels, heresies. It's not anointed. Or well, number seven, here we go, is too long and boring. I don't know. I, must, I don't know what the, the, the policy or what it looks like here. But many churches, we'll put it this way. Dudley Daniel once said, if you halve your preach, you'll double your church. <laughs> not you, Bruce. I've heard you preach. <laughs> number eight, unprepared 
or is not a gifted preacher. Let me just, I mean, some, not everyone is called to preach up front. I think all of us should be able to share God's word and encourage people with God's word. And some in home groups, some in small groups, whatever. Not everyone is called to preach up front. So big idea. To never minister just from gifting or ability, but from anointing and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you need a quick leg stretch? Anyone need to go to the bathroom? Okay. Time starts now. Okay. We, five minutes. That means that 32 minutes past.
righty, let's go, let's go. We're going to run a little over time, but uh, are you enjoying this? Helpful? Hey? Do you reckon? We said a tea break, we said a wee break, not a coffee break. <laughs> Sheep is pretty. Yeah? Just like their leader. <laughs> What's wrong, Zach? Cold legs, eh? Kimberly's got my jacket and I saw you don't need it. You'll warm up again now. Shot through the heart. How many minutes do you need? One minute. Hey? Call him by name, Bruce. Call him by name. You call my name. I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness. Into Brent's marvelous night. Into Jesus' marvelous light. All right, so I think we can start, eh? Hey? Fantastic. You guys enjoying this? You know, I really, my prayer is that, uh, you know, sometimes you can listen to messages like this and you can think, yeah, that's great for that person. No, no, no. God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. Amen? God wants to use you. God, it's us. Isn't that amazing? Hey? That God is for us, that He wants us to do these things. I'm fully able to do these things. Eh? It's a beautiful thing. All right. Good. Let's go for it, Brent. I was, uh, I was chatting with Neva because uh, I asked him, hey, are you a preacher? Because we've just spoken about sport-empowered preaching. He's like, no, not me. I'm a home group leader. So I said, well, have you ever preached? He said, no. So he said, you don't really know. Maybe it's an undiscovered gift. But the point is, this is not just for upfront preachers. You know, if, if home group leaders, sharing God's word, kids' ministry, whatever it is, Lord, we need that spirit empowering. Now, Point number, the second point, number one. <laughs> second uh, growth trigger, spirit-filled, healthy community life. And this is huge. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47, it says, They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. The second trigger, growth trigger, is about developing a Holy Spirit-filled community of friends who are on mission as a community. How many of you enjoyed COVID? Yo, kind of, I mean, I'm an introvert, so I'm like, really, this is not so bad. But even as an introvert, I realize how much I miss people, how much uh, we need people. And what we discovered is some aspects of church life can be conducted over the internet, but boy, it's not the same. I mean, it's a really helpful tool. It is a helpful tool. 
But actually, we were created. We need one another. So many of the things happening in the world at the moment, the real issue is belonging. People gravitate towards all kinds of stuff because they want to fit in and belong. My, one of my most tragic talking to, to some folk from, uh, let me say it carefully, but let me say it. Some of the folk from, from the LGBT plus community, all of that, and, 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 I, and I spoke to some of them, and, and, and what the one girl said to me is, we came into the church fully expecting to be judged and rejected. Fully expecting. We knew it was just a question of time. Now, I'm not debating rights and wrongs, that's for another day, but the sadness of my heart. <clears throat> we, in fact, we started live streaming about six months or so before COVID happened. I mean, and, and we did so <laughs> because, I mean, I'm not a live stream. I mean, I didn't even know about the technology or whatever. But on the third row, this lady sat every Sunday morning with her phone out. And I'm like, what are you doing, woman? And eventually I went to her and I said, I'm like, why? What are you doing with your phone? She said, no, no, I'm live streaming you on Facebook. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What, what is that about? She said, no, actually, I've got a group of friends. Many of them are same-sex attracts, prostitutes, kind of, and, and they know they're not the kind of people that the church would want, but they really want to hear the preaching and be part of it, so I live stream to them. And I thought, 50 people on the other end of that, because we as a church are not seen as well, it broke my heart. Broke my heart. Remember, grace and truth. I'm not saying everything's right, but I'm saying we need to be full of grace. People are looking for belonging. Not, not saying, yes, we agree, but God, we've got to love people. Normally, people need to belong before they'll believe. I was amazed when, when I began looking at, I'm not going to go down this road, but do you know that in Jesus' ministry, he led at least two tax collectors to salvation? And never spoke about tax collecting once. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, one, one became a disciple. One became a raving evangelist, Zacchaeus, who managed to kind of bring all of his mates here. And, and both of them became Jesus' followers. But Jesus never addressed tax collecting. He just made them belong. He just loved them. What you were talking about. He just loved them. And out of that place of safety, they repented, turned, and gave their lives to Christ. Isn't it amazing? This thing about building, healthy, embracing, loving community, and it says God added to that. Because people are desperate for belonging and for love and for care. So it's characterized by involvement, community. I, I love that aspect. This is beautiful. Church architecture should reflect church vision and values. And it's not a coincidence that you walk into this church building through the coffee shop. And, and it's actually, it's radical still for some churches who come to a meeting as it starts, leave as soon as it finishes. No, no, we want people to stay. Now, I'm talking to the core of the church here and encouraging you, church doesn't actually begin. What time does the meeting begin? Nine. 9.30. Well, I'm glad you said nine because it should begin then and church doesn't then finish with the amen at the end of the song because we're not here to attend a meeting. We're here to build a New Testament community of people. And I would encourage you to build your serving Jesus around that. Don't schedule a tea, a lunch or whatever straight afterwards. Because actually it's just as important because people stay not because of the beautiful posters and all of that. Yep, that's great. They'll stay because of friendship. People are going to be drawn by friendliness, but they'll stay by friendship. 
And that's you and I, connecting. I want to challenge. Some of you don't. I'm sure it doesn't happen in your church. It's happened in our church a few times. I've had to lovingly rebuke some of our deacons and even elders at times. This is not the time for you to be talking to your mates. When there's brand new people who've just walked in and they're sitting by themselves. By the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to connect with? Just that little moment of taking, we've got, I think if I get the story wrong, Charles, you can correct me. We've got a couple coming on to eldership in our church. Amazing couple, love them to bits. The reason they're coming on to our eldership and being a blessing to us is because he wouldn't let him, they, they came from the church where Charles was down in Nazna all those years ago. And Wayne tells the story. It was Charles who went into the car park every time after Sunday to not let me escape, but brought me back for a cup of coffee. That's what drew him into that radical, life-changing experience where he then matured, grew, came onto eldership, moved to us so that he can be a blessing to us. We live in the benefit of someone understanding this. People need community and we want to build. There's a... So we're talking about healthy New Testament community involved, community life, unity, unity. Do you know, unity is, is an amazing thing. It's, unity is like a smell. It's, 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 I mean, it is. Uh, Tyron Daniel tells that story about playing golf in Bloemfontein once. And, and he's playing golf and he says to the pastor, the local pastor, he says to them, what the heck is this ridiculously foul smell? And he says, oh, no, no, there's an abattoir just around the corner, but ugh, we don't smell it anymore. That's the problem with smell. Smell is, is, is this amazing invisible thing, which if you're new to the environment, you pick up quickly, but if you're in it for a while, you don't pick it up anymore. And, and that's what unity's like. Where, where there's unity, it's like the fragrance of the Lord. It's, it's like that beautiful smell that just somehow people don't even know it. It's just, I want to be part of this. If there's disunity, it's like a foul stench of death, but the people who are part of it all the time don't smell it after a while. But you know who does? Visitors. New people. It's just, something's not right. It's just a vibe. Lack of warmth, whatever it is. This thing is, is huge. Building a a community characterized by joy. I love that. Michael Eaton quote there. If you want your church to grow, fill it with joy. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, that's what people actually want. I want to be part of something that's full of joy. And we need joyful people. Dudley Daniel said, what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. I love that. I mean, that incredible testimony. The sadness would be for that guy, Bruce was sharing the testimony, out of drug addiction, all those jails. Imagine all of that has this radical salvation experience and joins a church of disunity, no friendliness, no belonging, judgmental, and pretty much, uh, and all that work of the Spirit, lost. Because what he got saved into is now even worse than what he got saved out of. Alrighty, this is, this is something I do want to share though. In terms of, of building healthy New Testament community, I felt God challenge me. This has become one of my life scriptures, Ephesians 4.16. speaks about God. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, this is the NLT, but the NRV version will say the whole body held together grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So how does the church grow? 
as each part does its work. So, so what should we be focusing on? Church growth or church involvement? It's amazing, isn't it? So, so actually, if we build healthy community, the challenge is get people involved and not just spectating, but doing. Because when we start doing, we grow a whole lot more than just receiving. And the challenge for us for, for supernatural church growth follows church involvement. Let's focus on getting people involved. And people actually want to be involved. And, and when, when we create opportunities, there's a little example there. I think I shared it somewhere about uh, what Grant Crawford, I, I mean, he leads the One Life Church down in Peter Maritzburg. And, and I remember hearing the story of how he challenged his team. And I mean, they've got all these sites all over the place. And he said, how many volunteers do we need on a Sunday to make everything work? And I think the team, da-da-da, that we need kids' ministry, we need setup, we need sound, we need video, we need da-da-da. They came back with a number like 84. He says, is that all? And he says, no, no, that, that's the minimum number of volunteers. If we want Sundays to work, we need... He said, I don't want the minimum, I want the maximum. Go do it again. And they came back and said, well, actually, 157 would be better. Great, let's aim for that. So it's not how few people can we run a Sunday on, and it's not just about Sunday, but it's a great opportunity to start using your gift it's how, what's the maximum? And for you who are part of a serving team, a ministry, multiply yourself. Multiply yourself. And it doesn't come from someone up front saying, hey, guys, we need volunteers for kids' ministry. We do. Okay, well, this is a great case in point. It doesn't actually help broadcasting it from the front. It's going to come down, Holy Spirit, who should I chat to? And then we're going to chat one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, would you consider coming along? Most people, remember speed bump right in front of them of fear. They're like, oh, I could never. All those kids are driving. No, no, take me by the hand, do it. It's actually getting people involved is key. What does it mean practically? Focusing on getting people involved, starting serving teams. The main leader moves from doing everything to encouraging everything. Let me go on. Churches stop growing when there's a lack of unity, lack of fellowship and friendship, no community, no pastoral, pastoral care, no prayer. Event growth is exciting, but continual, healthy community growth is even more important. My prayer for each one of you is that tomorrow, Sunday celebration, you're going to go and talk to someone that you don't know as an exercise. Ask the Holy Spirit who you should connect with tomorrow. Just, Lord, Amen. And that little conversation could be the turning point. Sometimes we think it's like, oh, what an amazing message. That must have changed their life. Actually, normally it's the little conversations of someone taking the time to connect, to draw in. That's what changes. Someone said to me, they, the, a guy was in ministry, but he felt change of season, left that church, came to our church for a while, didn't know to come to our church, some other church. Eventually he came to me and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm actually going to go to a different church. I'm like, hey, give me some feedback. You, you know ministry. He said, You're, you guys have got a really friendly church, but in the eight visits I, I visited, no one actually ever invited me to a home group or for a meal. I prefer your church in many ways, but actually, you guys are super friendly, but are you really friends? Oh, cut me to the heart right there. We can put on a smile, but actually what people really want is a friend. Let's go to number... No one actually said, hey, come to my house. Remember, Jesus was amazing at Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. It's getting in people's lives in their homes. Not just smiling on a Sunday, but getting into their homes, inviting them to your home group. Sometimes like, oh, but maybe someone else is already invited. Doesn't matter. Take the chance. Invite. 
If you're a home group leader, if you're part of a home group, invite someone. If they say, no, I'm already part of a group, oh, that's cool, but maybe they're not. All right, third point. Spirit-filled ministry of the gifts of the Spirit, both in and out of the church. Oh, this is huge. Acts 3, 7 to 11. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, praising God, he went into the temple with him. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And then as the story unfolds, Peter begins to preach. And then, but many of the people who heard heard their message believed so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So third growth trigger revolves around releasing the life of God through the spiritual gifts of the priests. Question, how many priests do we have here today? So why don't you just show me if you are a priest. Okay, if you're not, I'm going to try and cut you to the heart. (laughs) Remember, listen, you're never going to act outside of your identity. You you won't. You're not going to change a habit until you've changed your identity. So until you see yourself as a priest of the Most High God, you're not going to do priestly stuff. But when you align your identity to the identity God has given you, your behavior will naturally change. So... As New Testament believers, sons and daughters of the living God, we are part of a royal priesthood. When when that becomes our identity, we realize we've got priestly stuff that we're called to do. And God has given each of us gifts. This supernatural church growth, remember, the supernatural is going to flow through the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given. Every one of us, it says the Bible, it says the manifestation or the working of the Spirit is given to each one for the common good. He doesn't give it for your good. He gives it for the common good, but it's going to come through you. So if you had something that would be good for everyone, but you never used it, how would you describe yourself? I wasn't going to say that, but it's a good choice of word. <laughs> no, no, I mean, let's, 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 now, let me give you a vulnerable testimony. Uh, we, we had for example, positioning the prophetic. Some of you, I mean, many of you might know Zach, and, and they did positioning the prophetic. We did like four years in a row at our church. And what I realized is every single person in our church can prophesy. And on the Sunday, everyone does. And on the next Sunday, there's 20 prophetic words. And the next Sunday, there's five. And the next Sunday, there's two. And then it's back to Auntie Viv who's been bringing a prophetic word faithfully for 22 years. Literally, she has. And what that tells me is that everyone can, but most don't, which makes me, and I'm guilty, because I'd, I've realized I'm not like a, a, a Zach Lombard, where it seems that you go through life and poof, prophetic word came from somewhere and I've got a word for you. I'm, I'm the kind of person who actually has to go to God and say, Lord, is there something that you want me to share with the church? And, and I find every time I do that, God dropped something in my heart. So if I get up without any prophetic words, what does that mean? Actually just never took the time to ask God. And I've realized I'm a lazy prophet. I mean, there's, there's no other way of putting it, basically. Cause, cause, and, and normally with our spiritual gifts, it's not 
remember when God's, when we're waiting for God, normally God's waiting for us. And actually, sitting in this room is everything needed to release the life and power of God. In this room right here is everything needed to release the life and power of God. I wonder, we spoke, you, you brought that prophetic word about uh, perspective. I'd imagine if for a moment, written like across your head or forehead, whatever, is, is we could see clearly what God wants to use you for. And imagine I suddenly saw in Warra's life, he has like, wow, she has a gift of healing. She has prophetic. She has like, it's like, what, what are you doing with it? <laughs> imagine if we just suddenly realized in each of us, God has given specific gifts to release his power and life. I mean, it's such a huge thing. The, the third growth trigger revolves around releasing the life of God through the spiritual gifts of the priest. The gifts God has given you carry the life and power of God. There's no life in a model. A model is helpful to carry and sustain the life of God, but it doesn't release the life of God. Life comes from the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever gift you have has the potential to release God's life, which produces growth. Now, let me remind you, spiritual gifts are spiritual and they're gifts. And they're different to talents and ability. My, my, one of my favorite stories, and this is a true story, it really happened. I was with quite a tall, good friend of mine on a South America trip in Nicaragua. But I'm going to protect his identity, and you'll see why in a moment. So we were asked to do an outdoor evangelism in the marketplace crusade for three nights in Nicaragua. And I remember getting there the first night, and, and I mean, they had the stage, they had the band, there was like people all over the place. And this particular tall friend of mine, he gets up on the stage, and he begins preaching, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a communicator, I've got the gift of, so I can evaluate how a communication thing is going, and it's not going well. I mean, I can see when people are dialed in and dialed out. I mean, I can see when people have lost the plot and they're not interested. I'm thinking to myself, but he landed this plane, just like bring it into your land. And so when he landed the plane badly and then said, is there anyone here who wants to give their life to Jesus? I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. And, and I'm like, no one's going to respond to this message. They're not even listening to the message. And, and then 60 people put up their hand and came to the front for salvation. I'm like, yo, these guys must be desperate. So, so, I mean, it was amazing because, hey, like 60 people got saved. This is fantastic. The good news was the next night I was going to preach. And let me tell you, it was amazing. I mean, this was a message and a half. You know, this, this was dynamic. This was like the gospel explained. This was like on point. I could see people were dialed in. So, I mean, I mean let, let's just be real for a moment. I mean, if, if 60 people got saved through... <laughs> and our man is like so now come on all of you who want to give your life to Jesus come on up hey come on why don't just not all at the same time eventually it's like I'll give you money to come on just one of you and I mean like not one I'm like well obviously I mean everyone got saved the night before so it's like, I mean, no, clearly what's happened is everyone got saved. And, and so I don't know why we're having a third night. 
Because we clearly saw last night that everyone's already been saved. And so night number three, this friend of mine is back up on stage preaching his heart out. I'd love to be encouraging and say it went better, but it really didn't. And so now, not only is the message not like, plus everyone is already saved, so it's like a double waste of time, and, and then 70 people got saved. And I came, I came to a conclusion that night. But I don't think I'm a gifted evangelist. I don't think that this is my primary gifting. The next day was Sunday, and I was, I was at a church, and I, was, I just asked to come and preach, and I just taught. And at the end of the message, after just teaching God's word, I was like, is there anyone here not yet saved? And 11 people came up and, and gave their life to the Lord. And I, I just realized, you know what? It's, it's a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And, and, and God has given us these, these supernatural gifts. You can do stuff which actually it's not dependent on your ability, performance, or all of that. So you can, God gifts us. Which is, it's, and to use your gifts for God's glory is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, I mean, another example. I'm going to Pakistan. I love it now because when I go to Pakistan and, and Chad came with me on the, on the last trip. But we've got this Indian brother and he's, he's not a good preacher. I mean, I love him to bits. Errol, Mr. Errol Daniram, I love him. He's come to every trip to India and Pakistan. He's come to Brazil. He's, the, he's a cucumber farmer. He's a gentle heart. I love him. But he's, he's, he, he speaks. It's difficult to understand him when he speaks. And so I don't give him many preaching opportunities. But let me tell you, when he prays for people, they get healed. And it's, it's great because I can get up and I can teach into the church and at the end, when I'm feeling exhausted, and everyone always wants prayer, I can say, and if you, if you need prayer for healing, Errol's the guy. And I can sit down and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. And they all line up, and he patiently prays for them. And then I get home and never hear from anyone. He gets text after text after text. Hey, God healed. God healed. God healed. God's gifts are beautiful. So practically, identify, develop your gifts, and be diligent using them. Be diligent. This, this is something in loving kindness. I think we're going to stand before God one day and he's, he's going to lovingly, graciously ask us what we did with the gifts he put inside of him. And, and you don't want to be that guy. It's like, Lord, I didn't lose it because I didn't backslide. You know, it's like I hid it under the bushel. No, no, I gave it to you as a way of releasing fruit to multiply. Encourage your leadership team to identify and use their spiritual gifts. Make space in your meetings or straight after for the gifts to operate, ask people to prepare words of prophecy, words of knowledge. What I discovered is amazing. If I actually on Saturday WhatsApp a few people and say, hey, what about trusting God for a prophetic word tomorrow? Guess what happens? They bring it. And, and so just being more and more intentional, more and more intentional. I found words of knowledge are brilliant in terms of releasing healing. Because people have already got faith. It's like, God, how did you know? Let's use those gifts. What keeps a church small? Pastor tries to do everything. Lazy or afraid to use spiritual gifts. Or gifts are used to glorify men and not God. Let me very quickly give you the final three point number ones. <laughs> number four is, is spirit-filled governmental leadership. I'm only going to make one quote. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? And I mean, have you ever had a church meeting where someone dropped dead because, I mean, I've heard of people falling under the power of God, but they always get up. This time they did not get up. And what's amazing is you'd think if there'd been a death in the church, people would like, I don't want to go to that church again. And look what it says. 
Acts 5 verses 13 and 14. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet, more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. So you would think this stance of actually we're not playing church, we're not compromising, we want the radical gospel, we want to be true to the Holy Spirit, no games. Holy Spirit, we're trusting you. We'd think like, no, no, that's going to put people off. Actually, people came flocking. And sometimes it means confronting the, uh, the hypocritical, all of those kind of playing church. And uh, the fourth growth trigger is exercising loving governmental leadership. It's actually super attractive to real believers. Dealing with tough issues, being talk, calling sin sin in a loving, gracious way, but not just being a let's tolerate everything kind of people, which actually turns people away. Obviously, there's a way of doing it, and uh, I do just want to read that one scripture, John 1 verse 14, middle of that. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I'm prophesying that this verse is going to be key to churches in the future, where the church is going to come under increasing attack for not being more tolerant of other people's sexual preference, sexual, all of this. The pressure is for, for the church to say, yes, it's not a sin, it's right. No, no, the Bible's clear. But the Bible says glorious leadership is not compromised truth. It's 100% truth with 100% grace. And that ability is what it says we've seen his glory. To be upfront and clear and unapologetic, we have a truth that's not our truth, it's God's truth. We have a truth that doesn't fluctuate with feelings. It's established on the rock of Christ. And we're here to represent truth. But we represent it in a way that's glorious in its graciousness. Then uh, point number five, I'm not going to talk about spirit-filled leadership team. They, the church began to grow. They released this, uh, this leadership team. And have a look at verse number seven at the bottom. Uh, Acts chapter six, verse seven. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Basically, the heart of this growth trigger is when more people are empowered with authority. Now, if we trace... Church, modern church history, up to about the 1980s, early 80s, pretty much all churches around the world, there was one pastor, one domini minister, he led the church. What the genius of people like Dudley Daniel and other apostolic teams was to go from one leader to a team of elders. And what we saw for 40 years, we've been beating that drum that actually this church is not led by Bruce and Mara. It's led by an eldership team. Bruce and I are the captain of the eldership team, but it's the eldership team that leads the church. And what we're seeing now is kind of, I call it third wave, where we want to see now more of that authority pushed to the saints. Because actually discipleship is not the pastor's job, not even the, it's not the, it's all of our job. All of our job. We are priests. We are sons of God. Yep, we need leaders to shepherd the flock, but actually the deeper into the church, we can push authority and empowering the more the church grows and flourishes. And then, uh, last but not least, yeah. Yes. 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 If you missed that last night, we spoke about five-star leadership out of that passage in terms of developing uh, that leadership gift. And then the last one, which I just do want to emphasize, or not emphasize, but mention, is a spirit-filled mission. 
Philip went into uh, Samaria, began to preach. Look at the last verse underlined there in Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. Doesn't mean, doesn't say specifically the church grew, but let me tell you it grew because people got radically saved. The sixth growth trigger is about building a sense of mission into the church. Choose Acts 1 verse 8 so that the church doesn't have to choose Acts 8 verse 1 for you. Basically what that's talking about, you know what Acts 1 8 You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts 8 verse 1, what does it say? And a great persecution broke out against the church and the people were scattered. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? If only they listened to Acts 1 verse 8, they wouldn't have had a Acts 8 verse 1. And either we choose to go or eventually God will force us to grow sometimes through economic policies or whatever it happens. And God is committed to the gospel being spread. Now, this is important because Lighthouse to the Nations, listen carefully. When the church is in small state, there's something about the beauty of small community which is attractive in itself and actually, you don't need big vision when you're a small community because there's something beautiful about being a community together. Everyone knows your name. Everyone knows how you're doing. You know when new people come in, it's just nice. As God takes the church into the next exciting chapter of this church's life, people are not all going to know one another. People are going to start coming in faster and faster and suddenly you're going to say like, hey, are you new? And they say, no, I've been here for six months. And then you feel awkward. Okay. And, and what happens is, now here's the difference. People used to come and choose Lighthouse to the nations primarily because we love the feel of the church. It's this, it's this tight-knit community. That's not what's going to be the holding factor in the future. In the future, because not everyone will know everyone. And it's like, I can't get to know everyone. What's going to keep people and draw people is this is a community on a mission. I don't just want to be part of the community. I want to be a part of this community that is on mission. I want to be part of something bigger than me. I want my life to count, and these people are on a mission than they count. That's why going into the future, this point of unapologetic, we are an apostolic people. We love Jesus. We want Jesus made known to the nations. This is an apostolic house that has an incredible record of planting churches and sending leaders to the nations. But that's just the beginning. More and more, God is going to be raising up leaders, not just for out there. It's Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And it's that. When that begins to pump when you realize you're making coffee on a Sunday morning, but you're not making coffee, you are making love in a cup. Not making love in a cup. You are, you are, you are serving. There we go. You are serving love in a cup. Because, don't get distracted. Focus, people. Focus. Because everything we do is connected to this mission. Everything we do. When you're setting up chairs, when you're doing kids' ministry, whatever, we're doing it because we have a mission. And, and when people begin to sense that sense of mission, we don't just do tasks. I'm not just my name is on a roster. I'm part of a people on a mission. I'm telling you, there's something inside that people, I want to be part of this. And so this point, in terms of a triggered growth, where there was a sense of mission, people got on board. And into the future, this is one of the big points for me. Emphasize. I know you passionate because I hear you, not here. I hear you on all the other churches that you preach in as we go on uh, I know Bruce's heart pumps with that apostolic heart of raising leaders, planting churches, building base churches. And you're part of that. 
And I believe we're going to see more and more of that into the future. Amen. Amen. These were just six of the trigger points in the life of the early church. Growth followed, growth followed, growth followed. And uh, let it be done to you according to your faith. According to your faith. God has got you in this beautiful, unique kind of position. Knew this, knew this, knew this, because I believe God's going to accelerate something. Let's trust God for it, and let's know how to respond well. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, please? I'd love to pray.